Wonderful morning to all those that are with us this morning. We're so thankful and grateful for your presence and most especially to those that are visiting with us. Thank you for being with us this morning. We hope that we can have a little time to invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. Those that are watching online, thank you for being with us as well. And we're grateful for you as well. I do not know the time when more people have spoken to me privately and said that I really appreciate you taking us to the Song of Solomon. This is a book that has long been neglected. And if we are not comfortable with the Song of Solomon, if it embarrasses us, if we turn our attention away from it, then what we have done is that we have rejected a very portion of the Word of God that's just as important as those other 65 books, right? And we don't want to do that. This is a book of marital love. It needs to be studied. It needs to be studied with our youth particularly because sometimes we lament young people today for not respecting biblical marriage, for not understanding what marital love is really all about and how God has perceived and given us the instructions about that particular thing called marital love. How many times have we tried to brush aside the very teachings of the Lord when it comes to the subject of marital love? Sometimes we say, let's don't talk about it in the church. We don't want to talk about it in the home. And so our Young people need to learn about these things. They need to learn about these things such as physical intimacy from other sources that are, for the most part, not good because they're going to learn that. We want to see what God has to say about married love. And that's why we have been studying from the Song of Solomon. This is part three of our study of our series. Now, in order to find a marriage that works... Something must be understood about communication. That's number one, isn't it? Communication. We understand that for us to know anything about God, that he has to communicate to us what is necessary. And we realize that today he speaks to us through the written word. And therefore, we put a lot of emphasis on Bible study. And so study the Bible so that we can get a message from God and God has communicated to us about marriage and how to enjoy that most precious relationship. And likewise, for a marriage to blossom and to grow, there has got to be communication. We understand that. Now, a couple makes a vow before God that says, till death do us part. Now, I've heard that there are many out there that want to change those vows and they want to say, till love is no more. That's not what God intended from the very beginning. It's till death do us part. One man for one woman for life. I think if we can drill that into our young people's mind, maybe they might reflect on that when it comes to that time. I hope so. But it's one man for one woman for life till death do us part. And surely we understand that when two people come together to become one, that doesn't mean all of a sudden they lose their opinions or that they lose their judgments, not at all. But with that comes with great respect for the one 
that you are marrying. Great respect. I want to spend the rest of my life with this individual. And I realize that this person is not just like me. And I don't expect him or her to be like me. I don't expect her to be just like me. After all, God made the man and he made the woman different that they might become as one. Very important that we understand that. And a part of the beauty of this wondrous relationship is understanding that with these differences, we can still be one. And we can still love one another. As a matter of fact, when we think about trust, and we know that that is an important part of marriage, is being able to trust one another. You can't have that without communication. You've got to be able to, to some extent, to communicate one with another. And when you don't, that trust breaks down. Doubt and suspicion about the other grows. And eventually, the marriage will break down as well. It'll fall apart. And so together, having made a promise before God, till death do us part, we're saying that you're going to nurture one another in love, right? In love, and you're going to grow our love, and we're going to continue to grow in maturity as we seek the best interests of the other person. Now, let's think about that word love for a moment. You know, throughout the Song of Solomon, that word is used so often. She loves her man. He loves his woman. They refer to each other as beloved, beloved. Love is a word that is used rather flippantly in our society today because we, we're talking about loving everything. Oh, I, I love pizza. It, it might not love me sometimes, right? But I love pizza. I mean, I, I, I love pizza. I love our new car. I love our new house. We love our mates. We love God. And, and so it's a word that, it's, that, that we just toss around quite often, isn't it? What's the highest form of love when it comes to God? When we express our love for God, surely we understand something about his love for us. And the highest form of love is agape love. Agape love. God always seeks our best interests. That's a special kind of love. And God says, I want you to learn to love that way and particularly learn to love that way in the home. That the husband and the wife love one another in that way. Now, the Song of Solomon was not written in Greek, but we understand the Greeks had four words for this one word called love. And these four words that we could find in our study of the Song of Solomon we find eros love, which is the physical intimacy love. There is storge love, which is the family love. I want to be a part of the family. You are part of my family. I love you in a very special way. Love. Phileo love, which is friendship love. And it's a, what is a husband and a wife saying to his mate? We love each other. It should be, you are my best friend here on the face of this earth. I'm going to help you get to heaven. You're going to help me get to heaven. That's why we both have to be Christian, New Testament Christian, faithful to the Word of God to be able to go to heaven. 
And so not only should we be in love with one another, as I said before, we need to like each other too. (laughs) Oh, we have to like each other? Yes, you have to like each other. We need to enjoy the interest of the other, as our, or at least to enjoy the interest of the other, because being different, we're going to have varied interests. We're not exactly the same. We are to appreciate the very interests of the other, and that's part of what God wants us to do. Now, agape love, that highest form of love, where one seeks the interest of the other, the best interest, that's definitely found in the Song of Solomon. Agape love is not something that just happens. You've got to make it happen. It don't just happen. Don't forget, as we said in the past few weeks, of what Paul Faulkner said in his marriage seminar, that in order to have a successful marriage, it's going to take a four-letter word, W-O-R-K. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work to make it right, right? So what is the primary reason for two people to get married from God's perspective? Well, the one who is prudish and never wants to talk about marital intimacy, that person is going to say, well, it's really just to procreate the human race, isn't it? Well, no, that's not it. That's a part of it. God said that it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmeet, one that's just right for him, Genesis 2.18. And when Adam looked upon the first woman, he was so impressed. He loved what his eyes had beheld. God has blessed me, he's thinking. God brings this woman to him and he loved her. And there was physical intimacy for hours and hours and hours there between them. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that first 24-hour period that Adam and Eve were together? Well, let's just take a stroll and look at God's creation. No. Adam said, I'm going to look at God's creation and she's standing right here in front of me. All right? I'm going to take her as mine because God gave her to me. He's devoted his attention to this woman for that was the crowning achievement of God's creation. And that woman had to feel so secure in the arms of her man who loved her and fell in love with her so quickly. I don't even know if we can honestly say that Adam had fell in love with Eve because there was no one else. He was in love with her just from the very get-go, if you would say. You know, we don't fall in love with our children, do we? We don't fall in love with our children. I do understand that it takes a while for a man and a woman to, to date a while, and they have to have some shared experiences and may, maybe a fight or two. But it takes a while, doesn't it? It takes a while, and all along that relationship is growing, and finally it will culminate into marriage. But you know, when my two children were born, I, I, I did not have to look at each one and say, well, I hope that over a period of time, I'll learn to love you as my son. No, I instantly fell in love when my grandchildren, grandgirls were born. I instantly fell in love with them. I didn't have to fall in love. I instantly loved them. 
because they were ours as well. You see, when Adam looked at Eve, he did not necessarily have to fall in love with her. God knew what he was doing, and he brought Eve to Adam. He was pleased. Now, let's think about this Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And for just a few minutes, and I've, I want us to think about this word communication. We are getting close to the wedding. That's going to come next week. You're invited to the wedding next week here at 1030 next Sunday. The wedding. All invited. But all of this is leading up to the wedding to this point. And this woman very much misses her betrothed. She very much misses him. She dreams about him. And he is on her mind all the time. And that's how it should be. But notice Song of Solomon chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him but I found him not. I will rise now and I will go about the city in the streets and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him but I found him not. She is evidently having one of those dreams where she's looking for someone that she loves but she can't find them. There must be a mist out there that is it's basically hiding him from her. And she so very much longs for him. Now, when we consider what's going on here, we see the concern that she has for the one that she loves. For you see, when we communicate properly, we're saying to the other, I care about you. I'm expressing my concern. When she can't find him, she awakens because she's concerned for him. She has a love for him that is unreal. And when she can't find him, her heart begins to beat faster. She's not as happy. She wants his full attention and has devoted her full attention to him. Now, as we think about communication, right? We think about being concerned towards one another. That's one way we communicate with each other. It's to show our concern for the other. In Ephesians 5 and verse 28, husbands are to care for their wives as if they are caring for their own bodies. There is a concern that he has for her just as he cares for himself. And here we find this expression from the woman. She is very much concerned about her man. Where is he? You will find that in a good marriage, for example... Because this is not to end after the engagement is over, you will find in a good marriage genuine concern for each other. Genuine concern. When one is hurting, then you are hurting, right? When one is happy, then you are happy. Isn't that true that, some, that we sometimes relate Christ and his love for the church as we relate the husband and wife relationship? And Paul says, that's right to do that. And that's very important because he talked about it, that in Ephesians 5 as we talked about husbands loving their wives and wives see to it that you respect your husbands. Now, Paul understood that the greatest need emotionally that a woman would have is to be loved. That's the greatest need for the man is that he is to be respected. That's just the way that God has made us. 
And so a genuine concern is expressed here, even in these opening verses of the Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And as you think about this woman awakening from sleep, where is he? I need him. I want him. I can't find him. And when she does not have him, that's frightening to her. That's frightening. She does not have the security she needs at that moment. But she's also concerned about his particular welfare. But then there's something else that happens here. And that is in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go, until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Don't feel bad, men, when your wife wants you. She has a certain desire. That desire is for you. God made her in that particular way. The woman has a natural way about her to desire her man. It's like the story of a, of a young man who could not understand this. And he, he said, my girlfriend, she's, she wants me around all the time. I mean, I mean, come on. She just wants me around all the time. I like to hang out with the boys sometimes. And, and she does not like that. She don't like that at all. He said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to college campus soon. And that's where my girlfriend goes to college. And she says, when, when are you going to be coming to see me? He said, well, he says, I'm, I'm going to see you. But I, I would like to hang out with the boys at least a few nights a week. I mean, I want to. Have... And she got mad. Of course, she got mad at you because she's made a certain way. For you see, she's looking for this thing. For the long period of time, if you are her boyfriend, she has to be number one. Number one. Now, I understand you're still single and you can make your choice right now of what you're going to do, either to hang out with the boys or to hang out with her. But she'll only put up with it for so long. She'll go, I'm going to let you hang out with the boys all the time now. I'm breaking up with you. Well, you don't want that. You've got to understand, she's made it a little bit different. She becomes the one who is to get your attention. That's what she so desires in him. Why? She wants to be there, not just to care for him, but also to comfort him. The godly woman will want to comfort her husband. Concern says, I care about you. Concern or comfort says, I want to help you. Very important. And so we have this couple who ought to have this desire to help and to assist one another. But let's look at, uh, let's look at Peter, what Peter had said about that in, in 1 Peter 3. And remember, he, he spends about seven verses talking to the ladies. And then he says something to the men in this one verse. Look at verse 7. He says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell in, with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, when it says that she's the weaker vessel, that's not talking about uh, her intelligence. It's not making her to be inferior or as an inferior being in any way. 
That's not how God created her. That's not how God created us, right? The man is physically stronger than the woman. And so God is saying, you be understanding about that. Peter's writing about that relationship that the husband has with his wife. And he says, I want you to learn something here. Be understanding of your wife. Very, very important. Why does he have to say that to the man? Because the man generally is the one who will not pay attention that the way the wife thinks and feels and not properly understand her emotions. That is the reason that you have more women who desire to have marital counseling than you have with the man. Man says, well, we can fix this thing. But the woman says, no, we need more than that. She needs to talk to someone other than him. She needs to talk to find out with somebody else. Basically, she wants a counselor to put you in your place, men, right? And so really what happens in the counseling session is that a good counselor will actually put both of them in their place. That's what's important. Because so many times what happens is the counselor is finding two selfish people, two selfish people who wanted their way, who are busy trying to change the other without changing themselves. And so it is to her credit, the woman who wants the help and the fellow just kind of shows up if he shows up at all. To her, that's, that seems like you're not interested and you're not. But you see, I have a responsibility to learn her to the best of my ability. We sometimes joke about it that if, if mom is not happy, then nobody's happy, right? You know that. And that may be true, but we have a responsibility to do what we can to make her happy. After all, after all, she's very prominent in this place called the home. The home would not be a home without her. Here's how this woman in Song of Solomon views her husband. He is somebody who needs my help, and I want to be there to help him every time I can. She says, let me take him home with me. He is mine. I want him to be in my household and I want to offer him not only care, but also my comfort. I want him to know that. I want him to know comfort. Now, a woman needs to know that she is not just the first woman in his life, right? But the only one in his life. You can look at some situations there in the Old Testament when God allowed some things that he doesn't today, like having several wives in a household. You could almost hear the heartbreaking of women like Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 because Hannah wanted to have children by this, this man that she loved called Elkanah. Now she has a good-sized ego because in 1 Samuel 1.8, he said, Why is thy heart grieved? And not I better to thee than ten sons? That's not what she wanted to hear. That's not what she wanted. I'm your man. I love you. No, no. She wanted to produce his children. Just think about the heart of Leah. She knew that she wasn't loved by Jacob, Genesis 29. Like he loved Rachel, right? She understood that. 
No, God, no, God understood our makeup of what he created. One man for one woman. That's it. Otherwise, you're going to have a breakdown of trust in this thing called marriage. So sacred. Such an important part of our being. We dare not neglect studying these things. But now let's look at verses 6 through 8 of Song of Solomon chapter 3. Verses 6 through 8. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness? Oh, now she sees him. She was dreaming about where he is. But now in her dream she found him. Now this is real life here. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchant? Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. This is his chariot. Behold Solomon's chariot with 60 valiant men around all the valiant of Israel. True married love will communicate this. I admire you. And it's especially needful for the man that he be admired by his woman. And this woman is saying, look at what's coming. That's my man. I have great appreciation and admiration for him. And think about these valiant men that is coming with him. What does that represent to her? Security. Security. He's going to protect me. Look at all those who stand with him. He is well respected. I admire him. Listen, she's not afraid of giving a compliment. Right? She's not afraid. We must communicate by way of concern and by comfort and by our compliment. Complimenting is just one way of simply saying, I admire you. Now, this is where we have a great breakdown in the home. Young couples engage in this and they're fine with this. I mean, always back and forth giving the compliments and at least that's how it should be and is most of the time. If you're in one of those dating relationships and one or the other never compliments, then you need to get out of it. You need to get out of that relationship. Because while you're dating especially, it should be fine to always compliment each other. But then you get to this point that when you are married, that shouldn't stop. That shouldn't stop. Why should that stop? When we get down to the nitty gritty of the day-to-day routine and we forget about this and the marriage will hurt because of it. We forget about it just expressing a, a simple thank you for a good meal prepared. A thank you for the sheets that have been changed on the bed that now you can sleep in a clean bed. A thank you for the, for the time that you washed the dishes. Husbands, you need to be washing those dishes. She cooked the meal. And she should thank you for it as you thanked her for the meal. That was prepared. Or thank you for the good job you did making the yard look better. And thank you for these little things. After all, I have talked about 1 Corinthians 13. Kindness is love in the what? The little things. Just expressing our appreciation day after day after day. She looks at him. She, there's my man coming in that big chariot, and oh, how I admire him. Oh, how I respect him. Compliment him, right? Let him know how you think about him. Let him know you admire him and that you are his number one. Be careful, ladies, about what you say. 
I remember hearing about one woman who walked through the house of some friends and she, oh, this is a, such a beautiful home, a large home, it's nicely decorated. And this woman was so envious of the good fortune of her friends that she started talking about her husband like this. Well, he, he's gonna have to start making some money because you know, in, in order for him to, to be able to get these things like you got, I, I, he's gonna have to start making some more money to get, but of course, I don't think he ever will. She raised him up, brought him down. He, he needs to get going to doing something. But I don't think he will. If you want to destroy a man, just start talking like that about him. Here's a man who's trying to do the best he can. Be proud of him. Give him your respect. Give him your admiration. He needs that. Yes, you need his love so very much. He needs your respect. He needs your admiration. Be each other's number one fan. He's Superman. She's Wonder Woman. And not in the way that the DC Comics is trying to portray things now. Teresa and I have always tried to be careful about how we respond to one another in public. Because people observe us as a preacher and a wife, no matter what. We are going to be judged by that. But I think that's good for any couple, actually. And so we will try to not to snap at each other based on something that happens in public. Now, if we need to talk about it in private, we will. We'll straighten it out, whatever it takes. But this will be good for all of us as couples. And to think about that. Show the world around you that you respect and admire and appreciate the other person. And oh, what an example you can set to other people who need this lesson as well. And particularly of how it relates to the home today. But we continue here in chapter 3. And notice what he says in verse 9. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it the covering of it of purple, the mist thereof being paid with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Now here he shows the respect that she has for her man when he's on the throne reigning over God's people. See, Solomon has been crowned king. Solomon is someone that she respected and she doesn't see herself as deserving of his attention. He's so busy with everything else with his kingly that she kind of feels a little less attentive, right? So she pours forth, but he has put forth, poured forth his love for this simple girl because somebody said, well, how could this be the same man who would have all these wives and all these concubines, you know, 700 wives, 300 concubines? Always remember that there was always the first wife. This is the one, the first wife. I wish that it could have stayed like that, but it didn't. But what we picture here in the Song of Solomon is exactly what God says. This is the way that it was supposed to be. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And so she's saying, I understand that we may be different. I'm a country girl. He's the king. But oh, how I respect him. I respect what God is doing through him. And he says, listen, others may say I shouldn't take her to be my wife but she's the one I love and I will bring her into my home great consideration is expressed here and so what we what we have learned so far is that there is concern expressed and comfort expressed 
Compliments are given. Consideration is given. Consideration that we have sometimes in the dating process, if you will, that we don't always take into the marriage with us. Listen to this. He married her because, among other things, her hair looked so beautiful. He divorced her because she spent so much time fixing her hair. He married her because she was such an, an adept conversationalist. But he divorced her because she was talking all the time. He married her, or no, she married him because he enjoyed her home cooking. She divorced him because he never took her out to eat. She, mar she married him because he was a real sport. She divorced him because he refused to give up his sport. He married her because their family shared a common background. But he divorced her because her family always interfered in their affairs. She married him because she, he was so attentive to the little things. She divorced him because he was oblivious to the importance. God says, don't let those changes come. Learn how to communicate. Give consideration to the other. I would encourage you this week as we continue talking about spending time together, holding hands, sitting on that sofa, that love chair, watching a good movie or a good ball game. To also realize the importance of putting the kids to bed. If you're married and you have children at home, still at home. Now they don't understand that at first, if you've been doing that. But I understand at the end of the day, you get those children ready for bed. You're worn out. I understand that. But it would be good for you to wind down together. To talk about your day. To consider one another and communicate because husbands and wives need that time together. It's very important that we understand why we're talking about this relationship between the husband and the wife because the husbands and the wives don't have the right to say, I don't care about this. This is just not me. I don't feel like doing that. You've got to do it. If you're really a child of God and you're submissive to his will, you've got to do everything possible on both sides. It takes two. And this book is here for a reason. It's not to be neglected. Shame on those who neglect it because you will be hurt. The consequences of neglecting this book are tremendous. God is helping us here. He's teaching us about intimacy. He's teaching us about romance. He's teaching us how to live righteously in this world with a husband and a wife by our side. If you're here, not a Christian, it's very important that the husband and the wife, boyfriend, the girlfriend, before the marriage, are New Testament Christians. The last thing you want is the problem of fighting over who's going to go where. But I'm a, I'm a Catholic and I'll always be a Catholic. He's a Christian, a New Testament Christian. He goes, well, I want to take the children to here, but I want to take them to the, to the mass. You see, conflict, you don't want that. 
You want to be Christians, New Testament Christians together for the same goal, where there will be no problem where the children will be come Sunday for Bible class, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening, Wednesday night Bible study. And so if you're here and not a Christian, can we encourage you to become one, to make things right now, so that that time together as husbands and wives will be the best time here on this side of heaven. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to repent of those sins and make that good confession, we'll assist you in your going down into the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away, to rise to walk in newness of life, a child of God, a New Testament Christian. But if you're here already a child of God, you wandered away. Time is now. Make things right. Make things right. Tomorrow may be too late because today is the day of salvation. Won't you come? Make things right.